You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. Welcome to another episode of the Grossed Out Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Gross. Today, I have a very special guest on the podcast, uh, a friend of mine for damn near 20 years. We are getting old, and I love it. Um, it's my buddy Austin Stevens, from uh, who currently works at Warner Music Group, or WIA, whatever you want to call it. We came up in the Universal Island Roadrunner system and have in the South, and have been friends ever since. And super excited to talk to him today about No Doubt. So let's go over some of Austin's credentials, shall we? Austin Stevens is a music industry veteran of 20 years. He's worked at Roadrunner Records for over a decade, starting in Atlanta, and then moving to New York as their retail and field marketing lead, and eventually to their head of sales. Currently, he manages digital streaming platforms for WIA, specializing in business and artist development, as well as marketing strategy within the subscription streaming space. That is a tongue twister. Welcome to the Grossed Out Podcast, Austin fucking Stevens. <laughs> I'm here to twist your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> it worked right off the bat, man. Uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm really excited to have you. One because I I love you and I I love hearing your voice and we always talk about the craziest and most inane shit and make it interesting. And second, we get to talk about No Doubt today, which is not one I thought you'd throw at me, but one that I'm very excited that you did. Yeah. Oh no, I appreciate it. Uh, probably one of the bands that I wasn't necessarily really even thinking of, uh, when you started this. And, you know, as I think about it more, I'm like, I really, I get very nerdy and definitely have surprised a lot of people with stories about <laughs> no doubt. And I probably wouldn't be in the business if it wasn't for them. So, um, I owe them like a lot of gratitude. So, you know, why not start off with them? Yeah. Well, that's all. Well, I mean, I don't even know this. Tell me about that. How did, how did, just how is being a no doubt fan? How did that get you into this illustrious place that we all call home now? So, well, so I had gotten slightly friendly with the band in the tragic kingdom days, um, to a point where, you know, I saw them open for three eleven cause I was like already super into them. Um, and I really wasn't there for three eleven. I was there for them. Sure. Sure. Be, be, uh, they're like, be cool now, Austin, be cool. No, 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 absolutely. Like, you know, to be fair to 311, I've gone to see their opening acts many times. So if nothing else, I would give them a ton of credit for having uh, good taste. Absolutely. And And they seem to take artists out that they really like. And it's not like a pay to play. They still do. Which was very much the case back then. Oh, look. In the the 90s, right? So, (laughs) Dude, totally. Look, 311 has had some great records, some great songs. And to your point, you nailed it. I just saw them in Phoenix for work about a year and a half ago. And they had the interrupters, the dirty heads. Um, It was like a a traveling, not a festival, but almost like a mini style festival. Mm -hmm. And it was as the interrupters were breaking. So it was basically like, hey we fuck with this band we think our fans are going to dig them let's give them the shed this summer to kind of figure it all out on the road it was really awesome of them so that was really so that was like the first time i saw them um you know after getting like the first two records Mm -hmm. um and you know we left after they played uh, me and my friend liz uh and we just happened to go underneath the uh the parking deck of the arena and i saw a dude like sitting on the corner and I thought it was a guitar player. It was not. It was a photographer. And he was just totally like, who do you think I am? Uh, and 
he happened to go in to shoot 311 and I think he ran into the guitar player and sent him out and he came out and he was like hey what are you guys doing and we're like hey we just want to say hi good show you know that kind of thing and he was like oh you guys hanging out for a while and like invited us on the bus and oh wow um and hung out with us and you know kind of flash forward to like you know kind of mid-cycle for that when like don't speak was happening and they were like fucking blowing up right Mm -hmm. so um we went to see them and you know it it actually been like several months later because i think like there were some problems like with Gwen's health at one point in time they had to cancel a bunch of shows and like so there was actually like a pretty big gap between those shows um and he walked off the bus and we were there early and he was like hey i remember you and you know i was doing lazine at the time and i just hit him up for an interview and he did it and it was awesome and like we did like a two-hour interview and oh, sent it into and it was just like a friendly thing it wasn't like something set up the normal channels i was like a freshman in college so like you know that was totally me just trying to get a foot in the door um just doing like interviews with bands and stuff like that and he was great and uh sent it to i sent it to interscope and they liked it and you know they started like hooking me up and putting me on like mailing lists and opened doors for me with all the labels I love, Fat Records, Epitaph, Nitro at the time, like, you know, a lot of punk labels. Um, and even like, you know, a lot of ska labels, Moon Ska, and uh, that was huge back then, and, um, you know, a whole bunch of labels. So it kind of just set me on a path to like get to a point where I was like in school, not knowing what I wanted to do. And then I was like, oh, we have a music industry program. I should do that. <laughs> Dude, that's I, um, I never knew yeah. any of that. That's amazing. I, I so it was uh, yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. That's um, there was definitely no music I, I, until I got to college, and I was already you know knee deep in Universal stuff. That I was like, wait, cla- like schools give music industry classes? Like I thought we just go put up posters everywhere and then have to complain about not being on the list. Like I thought that was like all that happens in the music business. That's amazing though. Do you still have some of those zines? Uh, I have like all the like floppies from all the like layouts that I did for it and all the transcriptions. And I actually have all of the little like mini tapes from all the interviews I did. So um, I have all that stuff. It's like, of course, locked away in my office, which I can't go to uh, in in the COVID reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, But (laughs) but I do have it all. (laughs) It's stored in my office. That's amazing. That, that's that's great that you have that stuff. It's like when you, you know, I just posted something on Instagram tonight, actually, that um, Ani Bezdekian, who is uh, at Ingrooves now, was at Universal with me. And I think you worked with her for a bit as a sales rep for years. Ani um, found all this stuff from when I was a college rep. And it's like the hairdos and the weird sunglasses and like it was like interviews that I had taken or reviews that I had written. And it's like, this shit was 20 years ago. It, it just, it, it feels like it was yesterday and it's just, it's nuts. So it's really cool to hold on to that kind of memorabilia, even if it's for yourself, I guess. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I do want to find all of it. Actually. Uh, I was like thinking about that the other day that I want to go in and get all that stuff, like uh, get like a little uh, floppy, like uh, external drive. So I yep. can like get it on the laptop and just put it all together and see what I have. Dude, you should totally do that, man. That's, that's amazing. Um, so funny enough at that show, yeah, uh, shelter was opening up for them. Oh my god! So speaking of speaking of people that take out their friends, no right? Doubt, definitely one of those bands, right? And Tony was a big shelter fan, if I remember correctly, and 
he invited them out on the road and they saw me doing the interview with Tom and they were like, they, they had like a definitely a hustler manager. Like he was like, Hey, hey, got to interview my band. <laughs> I was like, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. I don't want to, I don't want to piss off Tony victory. No problem. <laughs> uh, so, so you were already a, a fan before, obviously we, were you a fan before tragic kingdom? Because I remember just vividly seeing the video for trapped in a box and not knowing in my, like, what was it? 11 or 12 year old head at the time, what to think of this. Like, I love the fact that there was this super powerful and impressive front man, front woman to, to this band, but it wasn't, I don't think it clicked for me yet till later when I think Interscope probably re-released those records after Tragic Kingdom's success. And I went back and I'm like, wait, there's some great shit on these records. It just never, I don't think I put, I put the pieces together. It was probably like 120 minutes or something, but were you a fan before all that? Uh, I came in like right at the right before Tragic Kingdom, and it was, but it was the Just a Girl video actually, mm. um, and it was on 120 minutes. Yeah, I yeah. saw it premiere there, and it was so funny. I was like a Headbangers Ball guy, you yeah, know? yep, and, same. Uh, and then like I guess like just that senior year of high school, I really started to get into 120 minutes, and um, and was watching that, and I remember seeing it, and you know, it's not the. Uh, it's not that far off the beaten path. Like I, I think we all have a lot of metal in common, but I'm more of a punk guy and I was definitely a ska kid. <laughs> right. Um, so I saw it and I was just like, I was very enamored with it as much as it maybe kind of a strange entry point for like a teenage boy uh, to get into that band. But it, there was something about it that like really kind of struck me and I was like super into ska and, and, and all of that. And, um, you know, it's just a catchy fucking song. And totally. I remember going out like immediately to go buy the record, like media play. Do you remember media play? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sadly do. Yeah. <laughs> like immediately went out to go buy the record and I saw a record and it said no doubt on it. It had a red cover in the background and I took it up to the thing and I was like, is this, this record? And they were like, that's the only record they have. And I was like, Okay, so I bought it, and boy, was it not Tragic Kingdom, right? right. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's such, like, a kind of, you know, for the time, like, very much what was going on, mm -hmm. like, in the ska scene, right? Like, with Moon, like, the Moon Ska label in New York, and, you know, the toasters were, like, having, like, a hot minute there. Yeah, they and, were. Like, I mean, just so many bands were having a hot minute there, right? And it definitely felt more akin to that stuff, and I was a fan of that stuff, so, you know, totally didn't, like, rub me the wrong way or anything, but, like... I think it was maybe three to four weeks later that Tragic Kingdom came out. Mm. And like, it's like night and day. I mean, you totally. know. <laughs> totally. Major label debut, basically, right? Yeah. No, 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 no it wasn't. The self-titled record was on Interscope too. That's yeah. right. God, Interscope. I, I mean, yeah, I know I worked there two separate times in my life, but God, there are some fucking great... I talk about this, I think, on every episode now, like Campfire Girls, Drive Like Jehu, the early Primus. There are so many gems from that era that Interscope was putting out, but like just fell, fell under the radar for sure. Yeah. That's amazing, man. I mean, like yeah. that's so like so basically that that record. So that wasn't what you're explaining to me wasn't. That I, I totally get that. I, I grew up in South Florida, and one of my really close friends was Ryan Premack, who is later in Where Fear and Weapons Meet, Poison the Well. And Ryan was like Sabbath dude, was like almost an idiot savant in a way, the way that he could play like a dream theater solo backwards and double, <laughs> like insane shit. 
he was the first of our group to like I bought Tragic Kingdom. This record is fucking amazing. And I think, you know, he was already on that path of like moving more into punk and hardcore as far as what he was working on. But that was like a, a real like that was a bridge, I think, for him where it was like this is getting me out of like the rush dream theater world. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that this was I, I think that a lot of punk kids and hardcore kids could listen to that and proudly wear the T-shirt, proudly go to the show. It was a really cool moment at the time. Like the 90s were wild that way where there was like there weren't there were divides, but there weren't as many rules like you could totally like the Jim Blossoms and also be a Soundgarden fan and love Tool and R.E.M. And it was fine. It just oh, see, I I had a very different high school experience. Than oh, that. so yeah, like it was so like not okay. Like I couldn't have a Pearl Jam uh, tag on my backpack alongside any punk bands and stuff, and and walk down the hall without getting harassed. But that was kind of the punk scene back then. So I felt the ska scene was much more inviting and yeah. more welcoming with different styles and things like that. Whereas like the punk scene was is like just hosted by a bunch of dicks. Um, but it was like, I mean, that was definitely the well I really went down and really educated myself on and, and, and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, this is the one instance where South Florida came correct for me, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so basically if you had to pick an album that you define as your favorite, as your favorite album and your favorite song from no doubt, tell me about that favorite album and favorite song i would probably say are the my favorite song is probably on my favorite album mm. um and i would say it's return to saturn i knew you were gonna say that album. i knew it um Great and record. uh it is it's a phenomenal record and, but you know it's it I, I i feel like there's a trilogy there with them right like tragic kingdom return to saturn and rocksteady are like timeless records like i can listen to any of those records and i don't feel like it's dated like self-titled like feels like very 90s ska like mm-hmm. early 90s ska right um but those three records like i have been listening to them a lot prepping for this so yeah. uh alongside everything else and uh you know those don't even the last record push and shove feels very 20 teens like mm-hmm. to me but those three for whatever reason just feel very timeless but yeah return to saturn is definitely the one for me and i would actually say i go they're like one of those bands i have a different favorite song every time i listen to it but i do always come back to new i love that song because i feel like it perfectly encapsulates all the different styles they have um like you get a little bit of like the hardcore beats from uh like right into that first chorus which comes kind of mm-hmm. late in the song like from adrian so you get a little bit of that like you know california hardcore vibe from them totally you get, like i mean it's obviously very poppy and catchy you get like those kind of funky bass lines from from tony and and all of that so well yeah and, i love that song it, <laughs> and that, that record's so good too because it, it was a minute between tragic kingdom and and saturn and i feel that like they had that it obviously wasn't a sophomore situation, but it almost felt like they they could fall prey to a sophomore slump because people didn't know them before Tragic Kingdom. And I felt that they could almost fall prey to it where like, you, you've, how many times have we seen it? Band has their indie cred. They, they, they build the way you're supposed to build. They blow the fuck up and then they follow it up with something that maybe the fans love, but it just is not commercially viable. And they go away or they, or they, or they, it just, 
no doubt to me that record is kind of from afar felt like it bridged the gap perfectly between Tragic Kingdom and Rocksteady and cuz like Rocksteady was fucking huge like for for people that are uh, that are young that that are listening to this that don't understand that 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 record's very influential but like how big that record was how big no doubt was for the entirety of the 90s just absolutely massive and and it was a bit of a I feel like it was a comeback record for them because I feel like some people did as successful as Return to Saturn was it I think it was still kind of considered a sophomore slump. Uh, it's like the Alanis Morissette thing, right? Like, well, when you sell 10 million records on the first record and then you only sell a, you know, 2 million on the second record, it's a flop, which is right. total bullshit. But, you know, that's, you know, that's our industry. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but also, Alanis Morissette's second record is fucking great. It is. <laughs> like, it's super, super dark and like uninvited. Uninvited. That's not <laughs> totally. Because, and uh, quick sidebar fun fact Uninvited was the end credits song for Dogma, I believe. Oh, was it? That's oh, what. Yeah. Unless I had like a fever dream, but I swear that's where I first heard that song. Um, I know it was on a soundtrack for sure. I swear that was the first time I heard it. If it's not Dogma, I'll eat my words on the next episode. But I swear it was Dogma. I think it might be a bad Nicolas Cage, Meg Ryan movie. That just sounds more accurate. But I fucking want to say Dogma. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just wish it was Dogma. I wish. <laughs> Fuck. I think. All right. Well, I I just figured you'd say Saturn just because it, like it feels like that was a band that they had those. That's where they really grew from clubs to theaters to sheds and arenas, and then they had to come back. I mean, Ex Girlfriend was a huge hit. Um, I, that was from I think I'll, I'll get this soundtrack right. That was from Go. Well, new was new from new was from Go. New God from Go. damn it! And that was like maybe four or five months before the record came mm-hmm. out. So like you know. As and you, you're right. You were waiting a while between those records, which wasn't a huge surprise. Like, I mean, because they ended Tragic Kingdom, like obviously on a high note. Like they were playing Sheds, and yeah, um, I mean that was a great tour. That was like them, and it was Weezer on Pinkerton, like as the opener, and and then I think there was like a, maybe a couple. I think Face to Face was on some shows. I had Red Five, I think, down in the southeast. Yeah, was a fun little Interscope power pop band at the time. Totally. Um, yeah. But yeah, and like remember she like cut her hair into that pixie cut because yep. like every girl was like basically dressing like her, and I think she finally had it. <laughs> totally. And I remember specifically when she got braces that Scott Ian was super obsessed with Gwen Stefani with braces. It became like a thing. So it was like <laughs> this is not how my worlds to collide, but here we are. And I was actually thinking about that on my jog today about the braces thing, and I was like, you know. Like, I wonder how everyone at Interscope, like, took that. Because I feel like oh, she was, because I was thinking about, like, the pixie cut and all yep. that. I was like, man, was she just really rallying against, like, you know what? If everybody's going to try to, like, cop my style, I'm just going to do this. The, no, <laughs> Let's you, see if everybody gets braces. You, <laughs> because, like, you know the power of be, of that building where it's, like, look at somebody like Paige Hamilton where he's like, I don't want to do Helmet anymore. I have this band, Gandhi. It's going to be fucking great. And he turns in the record to Jimmy Iovine, and Jimmy Iovine's like, yeah, I like this, but you gotta call him helmet. And he's like, "No, it's it's Gandhi." And he goes, "No, it's helmet." And then they put the record out as helmet, totally different lineup. Drop them the week the record record comes out. Like it was some sort of like super like just deviate. It was. I mean, it's horrible. But yeah, I mean, like it, it was you know, very much about 
image and and a lot of no doubt you know f- for better or worse was about Gwen and at least from the fandom you know perspective of like why they sold as many records as they did like the musician the musicians and you know guys like us like they, it's like okay cool well I love that baseline or like that beat that Adrian's doing like whatever is so amazing but you know a lot of a lot of girls felt you know, and guys too, but I think it was a huge deal for No Doubt to be as big as they were and ride the line throughout the 90s, which was at, at times so male-driven. And if it wasn't, it was like Lilith Fair stuff, which is cool in its own right, but No Doubt was for a whole different sect of girls. Oh, most definitely. And I mean, and, and, and kudos to them, mm-hmm. you know, for kind of opening those doors or whatever. But, um, I, you know, I think that's one of the reasons, like, the interview that I did with them was, like... You know, I, I think I gave them a little bit of the guys a little bit of a sounding board because they weren't getting any right. attention at the time. I mean, they just put out the "Don't Speak" video, which kind of spoke to that a little bit too. Like that was almost like I mean, you watch that video and you know that was like a therapy session. Oh, 100%. Uh, for all of them, yeah, um, because they were like equal partners. I mean, you look at those records and they all contribute a lot, and you know you have to give Gwen credit too because I mean, obviously she wears her heart on her sleeve and she was very. I mean, that's the whole story of Tragic Kingdom, right? Like mm-hmm. her and, and the Tony relationship. And then, you know, I always look at Return to Saturn as kind of the wanting, right? Like, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, Bathwater, like trying to uh, fix fix a guy and, and all that and wanting to be married and wanting to have a family and, 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 and all that. And like Rocksteady's almost like the confidence record, right? That's just like where they're all like finally set. <laughs> and you hear those and all of it. But it's a point like Return to Saturn, she got like, a little brutalized in the press i feel like about how vulnerable she was being and it was like well this is what makes it good <laughs> no absolutely <laughs> <is> the <laughs> i mean i i don't there probably wasn't an example of something like that since fleetwood mac as far as like look i'm singing about you you're right over there you probably wrote the goddamn song and i'm sitting here writing the lyrics or at least helping out on top of it and it's like that's that's a dynamic that only those people will really understand. Like, how hard is that for him, for Tony to go out on stage every night and play, especially during that era, and play those for both of them, but to play those songs where it's like, yeah, she's singing about me and we're selling <laughs> millions and millions of records. And yep, yeah, this is because I like, you know, this is because I suck or, or like, I, I just, that's got to be the most difficult thing in the world. Though they've kind of navigated it somehow, right? They, they even did. like her solo records, like, he, he worked with her on songs around those too. So it's like, you know, there is a relationship that kind of continues with all of them as much as like to kind of go back and forth between solo stuff or side projects or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, you know, I I was talking to Anna about this too, um, you know, cause she had seen them back in that era on that run. She saw them, I think with Weezer and with cake or maybe just cake. I'm not really sure, but I remember, and, and I saw them back then at some point also at like one of the big Zeta Fest, these big, you know, Florida was a land of radio festivals before it became a thing around the rest of the country. It was just every other weekend there was a big festival. And um, I saw them at one of those, at one of those, I can't remember which one, but my point is that like the band was always so tight and I think it took Gwen an extra number of years to really 
become that confident. I think she didn't have like the, the at least in the shows that I saw the show she saw, it was similar where like the vocal the vocal wasn't quite there live yet. And I think seeing her later because I saw them a few times on the Rocksteady tour and it was just a fucking amazing show where she has come into her own. Maybe I saw some off nights, but I think that might have turned some people off in the early days too where it was like very visual. She had the energy. It was a fucking show, but her voice just wasn't quite there yet. And in the later years, I mean, she's now, I mean, she's, you know, on the voice, like she's literally like looked to as a vocal coach in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. And I like, you, you definitely hear that. I, I feel like her voice almost changed a little bit mm-hmm. in rock steady. And again, I, but it's not like the singing voice changed. It's just like the way she kind of carries her voice or, or whatever. Right. So yeah. like, that's what I mean by like that confidence. Um, and I agree with you. Like, I mean, I always thought they were amazing live, but I, I will tell you like any criticism I ever heard, <laughs> uh, on the, in those early days were like usually about her voice, um, usually from other females, uh, which I always thought was weird, huh. uh, <laughs> at the time. um, you know, and just, you know, just that, you know, like, oh, she sounds whiny, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. I was like, I think she's just having fun. Like, maybe you're reading into it a little too totally. much. <laughs> totally. Totally. I mean, let me, and look, and, I, and I'm sitting here, like, going to see Suicidal Tendencies at the time, and, like, I love Suicidal, but let's be real about vocal quality. And I, you know, I was going to see Danzig a bunch, and that dude, I mean, that's a whole other <laughs> basket of eggs. So, and, like, we both love hardcore and punk, and that's not always about, that's sometimes, a lot of the times, about the, the emotion and and less about the the skill and more about what you're trying to get across through performance and maybe that's that's part of the world that they came from oh absolutely and it's like i mean even actually if you go back to that first record you can actually hear some real dynamics in in her voice and stuff so like yeah i wonder if her brother i mean i know her brother was kind of like a big songwriter on that first record if, if not like kind of almost uh solely the songwriter on that first record uh, but you can tell he like pushed her really hard and there was actually a, a, you, I don't know if you know this or not but like there's actually two singers of no doubt at one like very early days no. <laughs> Did you know that? no I didn't know that so there was a it was Gwen and a guy singing and I did I think I remember the story correctly and he I believe he committed suicide at some point and passed away Ooh, um, no, i didn't know that if i'm wrong i'm very sorry everyone uh <laughs> <laughs> but i'm pretty sure that that is what happened unfortunately um and uh but like no recordings like exist i mean i'm sure they have recordings of it somewhere uh, but it's funny i have like a this was actually in the interview i did with tom uh back then because uh, i had gotten this uh moon sky done a compilation and they were on it and it was all just california ska bands mm. and it's a really cool song um, and Tom was actually telling me, he said, oh, that was actually with both singers on it. And we actually had to strip the old singer out and Gwen had to re-sing all the parts, parts of the song. So all of the parts that were stripped out are actually recordings like years later. <laughs> oh, uh, so it's like, and he's like, so it's almost like a weird take. Like you can actually hear her like, a, like aged like a year or two apart on that on that song like from the different parts or whatever but like yeah i, I think it's like in the behind the music and stuff too there where they talked about that but which like, yeah obviously <laughs> i saw was obsessed with all those episodes but yeah it's been like i mean like look i just watched the chris Gaines one the other night for the first time which by <laughs> the way <laughs> you 
have to watch this. It's so fucking wild. Oh, that's the best marketing of anything ever of all time. That takes the cake. I mean, we should all just retire. Um, so um, is there... Okay, so if, if be, being the fan, like I, I always talk about this in you know Pearl Jam terms, Soundgarden terms, Faith No More terms, because those, you know, those are my bands. But like when I look at a band like Pearl Jam, I'm well aware that their best record is a record like Yield, where it, it just, it pulls from every, it pulls from every possible era of the band, it, it, all the high notes, all the dark notes, the, you know, the everything. So when it comes to No Doubt, is your favorite record also what you would consider their best? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, Cause again, like you go through those, it, it would, Definitely alternate between those three. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always tell somebody to start with Return to Saturn, though, because I feel like that w- that's like really kind of them at their peak with the songwriting. Um, there is something for everyone on that record. I mean, there are some of the sillier songs, though there are few and far between. It, it is kind of a dark record, as it, as it's Tragic Kingdom. Um, whereas like Rocksteady is really kind of the fun record, even though there's totally. some really beautiful songs on that as well, as well. But, um, Return of Saturn just has like a really dark, sad kind of melancholy beauty to it. So I, but it still has those upbeat stuff too. And, um, and I just feel like the instrumentation on it too, like you really hear Tony, you really hear Tom, you really hear the Gabriel and Steven on the horns, like, you know, and it, it's really excellent songwriting. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I would really probably, yeah, I would, I would tell somebody to, to go with return to Saturn first and then maybe work their way backwards and then forwards. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I'm always thinking more chronologically and I always try to discover a band if I ever, someone's like, Hey, check out this band. I, I try to go in order, but no doubt's not that band. Like I, like I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because like, can you imagine it going through that? Fr- like that's, it's like two totally different experiences in a way where I don't, I don't think anyone that would like maybe knows underneath it all or knows spider webs would go to those first, you know, those first songs, those first records and be like, I don't think I like this or, or I think it takes listening to the band that you might be more familiar with before you go back and be like, now I can appreciate this. Like I feel that way about Mr. B- I'm like one of the few that feel that way about Mr. Bungle where I am not a fan of that first record. I'm just not, mm-hmm. I am a, a weird disco volante California guy. And then uh, I, I, I tell people just start at California. It's like, if you like pet sounds, that's where you go. Yeah. And I do. I like Pet Sounds very much. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I just, I, I feel like you got to go, go with the record you find is the best piece of art, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like Good advice. Saturn is the best piece of art that's um, still very palatable, right? And then, and then send them to the big thing, which yeah. you could go either direction with that between Rocksteady and Tragic Kingdom. But, you know, you're going to know half at least half of tragic kingdom without ever having listened to it you know just from hearing stuff on the radio or growing up like you know i guess in today's world growing up with playlists and Mm -hmm. and whatnot so um you know you're gonna know half those songs like i mean my daughter like you know she's seen captain marvel a million times she knows just a girl like forwards and backwards right (laughs) as does my son so dude that's that that's gotta feel so good for you 
Uh, yeah, you know, I ch you you hope for organic stuff like that because when you try to push something on them, they just they just don't care. Like right. I'll just put stuff on in the background. I never try to push anything on them. Like I get a if a, uh, my son asked me to put a Prince Sign of the Times on his playlist the other day, and I was like, parenting win. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so I'll take it. Um, and my daughter was doing like dance routines to uh, Five Minutes Alone. Um, the other the other night, so I was just like, okay. And she actually says, uh, "Hey Google, please play Five Minutes Alone" by Pantera, and you know that gives you a little joy. <laughs> Man, how cool is that, right? Or what if she? What if she it's was immediately like immediately followed by Christina Aguilera, "Genie in a Bottle." So don't feel like I'm no. doing anything like too right here. Um, but I actually kind of fucking love that too. So <laughs> yeah. Now, how would you feel as a parent if she was like, "All right, Siri, play Five Minutes Alone" by Nonpoint? <laughs> no just i love not point those are my boys it's just no, like, i know, I know. It's, like, that was, like, it's like but that's awesome like that's that's something that you know i never had growing up where um you know it was just like my parents like what they liked and i kind of found my own way and my parents were cool about whatever i liked which was great but i never had anybody there to kind of like guide that side of it like i don't i i didn't meet anybody like me until i started meeting guys like you and Mar like i even my, my friends in high school we all liked the same few bands, but outside of that, there was just walls. Like you just like, you liked what you liked and it was fine and nobody would fuck with you, but you couldn't, I couldn't sit and like dissect automatic for the people with somebody because I hung out with hardcore kids and I was in a hardcore band. So it's really cool to like, it's gotta be really cool. Maybe in, in, in retrospect years down the road, your kids will be like, damn, my parents are cool as shit. You know, I'm jealous of them. Like, I feel like, and even like, the younger kids we work with and stuff like that. Like, I feel like they definitely came up in an area where it was way more welcoming and inviting and people do have lots of different tastes and like lots of different stuff. And totally. Uh, whereas like, you know, before it was just, I feel like people grow into that, mm -hmm. but like we certainly have, but you know, or, you know, we end up with like a group of friends um, that's maybe a little more diverse. It sounded like that was a little harder for you. Um, I like you had like a niche group, but, you know, I definitely had like a couple different groups that I was very friendly with. And it certainly opened my ears to a lot of different things, which was nice. That's awesome. I mean, and look, not to talk too much about work or anything, but when I first got to Interscope the second time, you know, in my 30s and a, a guy that worked for me at the time really smart kid he was like he kind of opened my eyes to a lot of this stuff because streaming had obviously taken over this is probably about five years ago and it was it, sometimes it's the most it's the most simple most obvious thing right where you I mean you know this better than anybody so it's what you do for a living where he was like look man there's no I wasn't fighting with him. I'd like to preempt. This was a conversation. I wasn't like some yeah, yeah. dumbass that wasn't understanding <laughs> the business that I work in for, you know, for 20, you know, what, 28 years now is that he was explaining to me that, look, you know, like you'll get a kid now from Omaha, whatever, you know, New York, Seattle, where they're perfectly fine having a Travis Scott track next to a track off the Black Album next to a fucking, you know, a, a K-pop song next to um, a Ghost Mains. Like, it doesn't matter. And it's so funny because in the streaming age, everything is so siloed and compartmentalized. But when it comes to UGC playlists, it's just there's no fucking rules. It's like us making mixtapes back in the day. And I think that is what's making more creative music. Not saying it's better than when we were, I mean, I love what I love, but I think that kids that are growing up now in music that are making art 
there are just no rules. And there's something so pure and fucking awesome about that. Well, it's really cyclical too, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, everything. I mean, everybody talks about like the death of rock right now, I feel like, um, or just like what a challenge it is to like really get something off the ground there. Yet, like you see these bands kind of bubbling up and, you know, and they, uh, you know, it's painful to talk about concerts, I know. Uh, but, you it know, is. seeing bands like, you know, grow from, you know, the like hole in the wall to the club to, you know, the, the, the bigger room, the theater, you know, the, and then, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, it, you know, it's, everything comes back. Um, it does. You know, there was like, you know, rave culture was like the big thing and dubstep for like a hot second. I feel like that's been on downturn. Hip hop's like obviously the big thing now and there's some amazing stuff in hip hop. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's amazing stuff that's uh, very underground in hip hop and that's like some of the absolute best stuff right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and a lot of it is fucking rock and roll. It is rock music. Like horror is a, 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 rock, a rock band in my mind, you They're know. Fuck- they are. Um, it, yeah, shit, like... Uh, um, blanking on so many names right now, but I, you know, I, I went and saw several bands last summer that I was just, I called them bands and it was like, you know, dudes with DJs and, but they were, it was so aggressive and totally. I saw all the youth like getting their aggression out. I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, dude, <laughs> I, I don't know if you were at it cause they've done, I think it was one show in the States before I even discovered who this is through actually through a friend, Claire, that now works at Goncord in the UK. If she's listening to this, I'm going to get yelled at for this, but we did work together for about a year here where I am at BMG. And, um, she introduced me to, we were looking for a feature for an artist and it didn't work out, but I discovered through her Bob villain. And I don't know if you're a fan of this band, but it's, it's like, it's, it's, um, these two black guys from, from London, um, I can't remember the exact neighborhood, but it is the most fucking punk aggressive. It's like there's elements of trap and hardcore and straight ahead rock. And it's all the shit that we love about aggressive, unhinged, politically charged, racially, you know, kind of fueled fight music. And like in the video, I'll send you some links just so you can check it out. Like in the video, the dude's wearing a crash shirt, like nice. long fucking dreads, like, it, and the nicest dude, like we've been, we've been DMing because I'm like, Hey, if you ever need help, like it's, it's completely hundred percent DIY. So if you ever need advice or want to tell me something sucks and how we should fix, like I'm here, I'm all ears because it's one of my records of the year. I'm absolutely fucking obsessed. I think them and horror and maybe like Death Grips touring together mm-hmm. would be one of the most ridiculous fucking tours. Maybe throw Death from Above on there so people like, so it's like a full <laughs> fucking sellout. I, it's just, it gives me that feeling of what I think I miss from these scenes in the early 90s. I, I, yeah, I think you'll be totally enamored with this band. Oh yeah, please do, please do. Mm-hmm. And so, then, uh, and yeah. then we circle back, right? And then we, we circle back. back. We go right Cyclicalness, back. right? Cyclical, like, yes. So, so many things about No Down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, you, you do have to bring up the Blondie thing, right? Like, it is funny to me. Like, as much as I find Debbie Harry and Gwen to be very, very, very different human beings, there's no arguing there are just crazy correlations between those bands. Oh, for <laughs> sure, for sure. I mean, well, well, tell me about it, because you are more schooled than I, so please. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and no, I just think about it, like, all the time. Like, it's funny, I, I got, like, I read 
Debbie Harry's uh, um, autobiography uh, earlier this year because, you know, we're stuck at home, so read a lot of books. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, it's so funny. I got, like, so into it. Like, it's a, it is actually a great read. Um, so, so I, like, went in and, like, you know, I have, like, you know, those core Blondie records, but I, like, went back, got, like, you know, everything, um, including, like, the solo stuff. And uh, it is crazy to me. Like, those first two Blondie records are almost like that first No Doubt record uh, in the sense of, like, what Parallel Lines was to, like, Tragic Kingdom. It's, mm. like you hear those like earlier records and you're kind of, yeah, so it's kind of doo-wop-y rock and roll. Oh, you know, interesting. from the seventies. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of beatnik rock. Okay, cool. Like, this is cool. Um, I don't like necessarily hear the hooks, but it's good music. And then you get to parallel lines and you're just like, you know, hard and glass, uh, telephone, like, you know, all the big hits on that record. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like, where did this come from? Like a year later. <laughs> so so l- l- just because I don't know, I, I mean, I obviously Sam, I know Blondie surface and I think, do you know that there was like a ghostwriter or they started collabing or was this just them kind of getting, maybe getting more label support or like what, what do you, what do you think the change was? I think they just played a shit ton and just really became good songwriters because it wasn't so much, it, it wasn't outside writers. Mm. It was just they got really good at like their craft, right? I mean, like you, uh, if you watch any of those like CBGBs documentaries, like mm. you know, pretty much like you know, any of any footage of like the Ramones talking about them or any of the bands, like yeah, they played all the time. They weren't very good, but they were just <laughs> good. Like like they right. just like you know they like they just played and played and played until clicked and then it clicked like massively but i mean a lot of bands are like that so i mean you go back and hear like some early stuff from like you know a lot of bands we love like you'd probably be like ooh, like i mean you 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 mentioned chili peppers earlier like you Mm -hmm. know you get back to that i mean there's definitely schools of thought on you know pre-blood sugar sex magic (laughs) versus post um yeah and and i love and and you know i actually really like some of those records but you know a normal fan probably that's a little harder to listen for them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when I see them throw like me and my friends on a set list now, it kind of excites me because it's like that's a world where the, it almost feels like two completely separate bands where Mother's Milk was the bridge and yeah. and Blood Sugar was just it's just it's an untouchable record. Whether you love the band or not, you have to appreciate what that record did for the subgenre, what it did for MTV, what it did for them, what it did for other bands like setting the way paving the way for a no doubt helping faith no, i mean like it, it's you don't want to say it because like you want to be a purist like no faith no more are well on their way no doubt no no they weren't it was a band like the peppers letting letting the, you know the american american culture be aware of like this subset of alternative music because alternative was like sonic youth and the melvins and that is not the chili peppers that is not no doubt yeah, well, and I think No Doubt would probably wholeheartedly, like, tell you uh, the Chili Peppers were an influence. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. not speaking for them, but I, I I, would find it hard to believe that they wouldn't cite them in some way. Totally. Um, especially the California connection and, and all of that, so. They don't sing about California nearly as much, though. I don't think anybody ever has in the history of time. Uh, I mean, well, Tragic Kingdom was, like, basically a giant, like, orange uh, album from Anaheim, so you know they they definitely True. were very proud of where they were from, and even I, though all the songs weren't about that. 
But, well, but that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Also, I remember working at a, at a Specs record store in my mall in Coral Springs when I was growing up. And it was that I was working there during the Tragic Kingdom era, but towards the end where it was already like blowing up. And I remember that box set that was like a crate of oranges. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, so yeah. fucking cool. And I could never afford it. And then we sold it and we never got it restocked. But I remember like unpo- unboxing that or, you know, taking it out of the box as we were like stocking, you know, um, uh, you know, it was a Monday night when when records came out on Tuesday, because um, again we're old. And I was un- I was unpacking it on Monday night. I'm like, I have to own that. How do I walk out of the store and steal this? It doesn't fit in my pants. Like, what can I? I wanted that so badly. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, dude, I loved it. It was it was all textural, and you could feel the oranges. It was really fucking cool. It was. I just remember looking at it and being like, I don't, I don't think I can visibly like store that anywhere and yeah. <laughs> i've already bought this record like i, I can't i can't get it again mm-hmm. <laughs> i uh, already have the vhs of the live show like i can't <laughs> right, right 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 that was always like the end of the tour here's the vhs of the, let's get let's get you for another 24.99 come on now <laughs> absolutely <laughs> do you have a song that you absolutely fucking despise in the catalog uh despise or, or maybe a song that definitely if you were you know you not maybe uh, tell people to steer clear. You just try to avoid this song. Maybe you skip it. There is nothing I despise per mm. se. Um, if I was going to tell somebody to skip something, hmm. Actually, you know what? There is probably one song. Maybe. Um. See, I actually really like this song, but I, it would not surprise me if people were. Uh, a little harsh on it, but Platinum Blonde Life on Rocksteady. That is the one song that uh, I can oh, see some folks yeah. like being like, because it's a little, it's a little, it's like when, it, that's like the one song I would say is the silly song on the record. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't listened to that song probably, I mean, God, it's been years because I, I, but I remember vividly like that song title stuck out to me on the back of the record and the font and I was like, huh, that just seems a little, even from the title, it seems a little like, almost like almost Madonna-y in a way. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, it's still like I, 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 there's nothing I despise in the catalog. <laughs> no, but that that record, like you said, that it's a party record. It's so much fun. Like, to, like I still vividly remember waking up super early for class or whatever when I was living in, you know, it was living in Jacksonville College, and like VH1 Jumpstart would just be every day like clockwork. They would play the video for Hella Good, like, and I would wake up every morning and it would be Gwen on the fucking jet ski, and it was like. Yeah, all right, it's 7:20. Here we go. And then it trans, you know, then underneath it all got it replaced like that record was so massive. And it, it, it's like how what was the the break between Rocksteady and it, it was about 10 years, 11 years? Uh between them was like yeah, 11, 11 yeah. years. Yeah. Cuz she did her whole solo thing in between that. I I was fortunate enough to work those records. They were fun. Solo records are great. I mean, other episode, but yeah, still super yeah. fun, <laughs> super fun. Uh, and I, I also remember like um, there was a guitar center convention, so you can imagine the kind of the kind of gentleman that was at the uh, the Sheraton in um, Universal City, by where the old Universal office was, and the no doubt was doing four nights, I think, at the Gibson, which is now Harry Potter Land for mm-hmm. everybody, which is <laughs> super sad. I saw one show there; it was Pearl Jam, and it was awesome. And, um, basically in the lobby, like I came back from like a nights out 
for work and whatever and the lobby is usually dead and then you know you, you walk back in and you know like the bartender is like caging up the liquor and all that stuff it was just insanity going on with everybody wearing like those button-up shirts with like flames on them and like guitars and flaming guitars and yeah, whatever because there was this huge guitar center conference in town but at the same time no doubt was playing the gibson so i ended up just chatting with their crew and their bus driver couldn't honestly one of the nicest crews of people i've ever met in my entire life uh, I agree. They always took good care of, like in that little era of Tragic Kingdom where we were somewhat friendly. Um, they took really good care of us. Like they were super nice guys. That's awesome. Doesn't that make you don't forget that? Like that's I feel that you become more forgiving as a fan in a lot of ways. Like <laughs> you you just like especially doing what we do where you you know, you meet certain artists and there's certain like there's one in particular which I will not mention now that I'm still holding a grudge and I still hate and it's been twenty two years and it's like, but that's like the rare, you find people are nicer more than they're not, but it, it just makes you want to root for a band so much harder when not only is the band great as humans, but the company they keep and how they treat those people, that's just, that's everything. It, it really is. Yeah, they're, 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 they're good people. And like, I mean, quick Tony's story, um, like I, so they did like that weird kind of, or not weird, a reunion tour, um, as they were trying to kind of figure out going into the studio yep. and writing a new record, right, for Push and Show. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, you just went there, and I remember, like, Roadrunner Radio guys being there and just being like, because uh, we shared uh, we shared um, Fuel by Ramen with the radio staff, right? And oh, Caramel I didn't know that. on that tour with them. Yeah. So all of the Roadrunner Radio guys were there. And, uh, and I remember them just being like, Jesus fucking Christ, you forget how many fucking hits they have. Yeah. <laughs> right. Total, total, you know, total promo guy. Uh, total promo but, guy. <laughs> but I remember I, I got lucky. Like, they were doing, like, a fan club at the time, and, and it was, like, free. You just, like, kind of signed up for it or whatever. Um, but you got, like, you know, the pre-sale tickets or whatever, and I got, like, very lucky on a few of those shows. Um so like I went and did like the warm up show in uh, Atlantic City. Um, then I did like you know Bamboozle, and then they did like the proper shows, and I did like Jones Beach and and um, and the uh, PNC uh, in Jersey. And I got like, a front New row Jersey. ticket. Homedale, New Jersey, and I had a front row seat. Oh wow! <laughs> there. That's so like because awesome. I, I went by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting there in the front row, and. Uh, I mean, I'm singing every word and all that. And like, Tony walks up to me at the end of the show, like, and he was just like, dude, you are awesome. And he just like <laughs> high fives me, but he put legitimately every bass pick he had on stage in my hand. So I had like 20 bass picks <laughs> in dude. my hands. And I was just like, thanks. <laughs> and so put one in my pocket and then I was kind of like, Pass one, pass it down, and that's, like hand it up yeah, to people. What are you gonna do with all of this? But you know what? That's that's the kind of shit that, especially doing what we've been doing, like you, it's we're not jaded. We're not like I, I I can I can say that with full with full transparency that I know you enough to know that maybe like the day in and day out might get to both of us at time, especially during a global pandemic. It's hard, but your fandom is not jaded, and it's just so amazing when you go to see a band like that that you're so passionate about and. They're so fucking rad, and it just kind of reminds you of why you do this, why you're not working at a bank. It's it, it's because of moments like that. It really fucking is. 
and also to take my wife to see them and have her lean over to me uh, at the end of the show and say, I now know what it'll be like to have a 15-year-old girl. So, you know, I, I, I wear that with a little pride as well. Yeah, man, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, and look, there, there's a question I always like to ask, but obviously we were going to talk about, we, 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 so, you know, for the listener, we had three bands that we were going to talk about, and it was no doubt Nine Inch Nails and Avail. And I'm actually really curious to hear you talk about Avail. We have to do that down the line, too, because I know how passionate you are about them. But is there, like, are those the three? Is there something else that you would have wanted to talk about if we didn't speak about No Doubt? Um, Those are the three that, like, you know, when I'm asked, like, who's your favorite band? Like, those are usually my three go-tos where I've been there a very, very long time and I've never left. Totally. Uh, like you threw a couple out uh, that we talk that you and I nerd out about a mm-hmm. lot, but I would never say for the for some of those other and I won't name them, but some of those mm-hmm. other bands that like I've never left, I've come back. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. <laughs> but uh, and sometimes I've kicked myself for leaving, um, and sometimes not. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> but, made the right decision. Yeah. No, no, I I, um, I I I hear what you're saying. It's like, dude, I love Sepultura with all my heart and soul, but like. I don't think that I'd ever purposely go on a show to talk about them as an expert. That is one I've come back to. <laughs> oh, dude. I, I actually, good. <laughs> records, and and I, I'm not saying this to be cooler. I never left. I actually love De- the Derek Green era, which is now, I think, twice as long as the Max mm-hmm. era. But I just... There's something about that band where, again, I love simple shit. I love King's X. I love, like, give me a solid riff. Give me a three-piece. And with with Max out of the band... It, like they have a real front man that 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 can that can really like hit all these separate notes and is a powerful force. I mean, we don't need to talk about simple terror, but like what I'm saying is, <laughs> like, I even knowing all that and being a dork about it, like I, it's a different level to come and 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 you know to prepare your notes and come talk about a band that you're so that is so ingrained in who you are as a person. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> And I also, I always love to ask people this too, even if I'm not doing the podcast, I always like, hey, like getting a band, like let's say we're talking about Cannibal Corpse and I'm like, do they have any sexy songs? And it's like, <laughs> they do not. But with no doubt, it's just- Fuck with a knife is totally a sexy oh, song. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hammer smashed face. Let me tell you about how many girls you can get. No, but I think with no doubt, it's just because I think that's in the blood of, of, of Ska is to have that kind of groove that it's not necessarily like a strip club anthem, but it's certainly something that has a feel that'll get people's feet moving. And that's what the band was always to me. But I, you know, tell me, tell me from your perspective. What is the sexiest song? What is the sexiest song this band has? Underneath it all. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Uh, I mean, the ladies saw breakdown and just like the vocal delivery on it. I mean, it's, it's it's like you're being invited in now, it's it's awesome it, it, no totally and you <laughs> and just... she's very like emotive when she sings it too like and not like you know it's not madonna like a virgin but it's you know you just feel like it's you it just it's sexy time it's it's it... hard to like put into into words but no yeah, it, it that's, is that's the one it's, it's a group. totally sexy time <laughs> no no and there's what you just nailed hit on something i totally you know yeah, so like Lady Saw, her her verse, her collab on that song, that's got to be one of the best features. In my mind, it's one of my favorite features ever. 
just she's like even in the video just like the whole scene with the bikes and then it goes to like the super vaseline like bedroom scene where it's just her obviously <laughs> no lady saw in that scene but um <laughs> but but that that video at that song is just it really is all encapsulating it's fucking great yeah and i will say like uh tony canal's bass lines are uh are pretty fantastic too so like he definitely kind of totally. nails that ska vibe like bringing it down and and bringing this being in that, bringing that sexy groove. <laughs> he does, but I've also uh, seen him when Soundgarden did their reunion show, like the big reunion show at the Forum in 2011. Tony was there, and it was Tony. They were right in front. Like, Anna and I were just freaking out. It was like a who's who of the people that it was just insane. It was Tony, Jerry Cantrell, Dave Grohl, Taylor Hawkins, and Chad Smith. I, I think I have that right. And they were basically arm in arm singing every fucking word i mean dave Grohl got wasted and started yelling at chris cornell and it was amazing but because there's probably some some you know some issues that we don't know about but it was he was definitely like way past the point where it's like let's get him out of here but (laughs) but i just remember i was watching tony honestly the most because i was like all right all these other guys i get it it's like yeah fine no surprise that taylor hawkins likes soundgarden but watching tony sing along to all the songs and like really get into it it just it shows the breadth of music that he that that he likes himself. It was just really cool to see that. I'm never really starstruck, but that was a lot of fucking stars in one little section, and to have them all arm in arm and like, you know, buddying up with each other it was fucking cool to see. Oh my god, I get like so super nerdy uh, if I see anyone, um, <laughs> if I see crew members uh, from No Doubt. Uh, like I legitimately, I love that. we you 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 know uh, in the in the in the Dark Roadrunner days um, of uh, of the of uh, a record we put out by Lenny Kravitz. Um, mm. One of the horn <laughs> players uh, was playing with him, Gabriel, and uh, we were like there, and you know all the you know. The, the big guys went to go say hi to Lenny and I was like on Gabriel and like, and I was just like, so did you still talk to everybody? Like what's going on? And, awesome. <laughs> he was super nice, but I was totally fanning out like really hard. Um, That's and I went to see, amazing. I went to see, what was it? Um, uh, I went to see dream car too. And like mm. me and my buddy are getting like cheese sticks uh, and in uh, walks Tom's, guitar tech and i was just oh that's thomas guitar tech <laughs> and then i saw like gabriel like, oh, dude. Think, or no gabriel wasn't on that uh but yeah i just saw like all the crew guys and i'm like oh yeah they're getting ready for the show <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true fandom though like we do it too with the pearl Jam. there's like what somebody's guitar tech it's uh it's, it's stones or i can't even we haven't been to a live shows in so long i can't remember but he looks like john Kerry with a ponytail and oh, there you go. <laughs> it was really funny, like when he was running for, you know, for office and like Pearl Jam's out doing, you know, all their, you know, you know, positivity for voting and getting people to vote and talking politics. And I'm like, this is so crazy that they're like trying to get people to, to vote for John Kerry. And he's literally right there on stage. I mean, the guy looks like John Kerry with like a sensitive, like tennis player ponytail. So it's like, yeah, I feel you on the crew thing where sometimes I'm like, there he is. There's the guy that knows the other guy that I like. <laughs> He makes it all work. He makes it all happen. <laughs> totally. The crew guys, that is who we should be nerding out over. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's like when you see what they do and what they go through and like call times and having to build it up and set it down. And especially like in the world where you and I come from, like in the hardcore and punk world or the world that we, we know very well. Um, that's a shit job, man. Like, especially if you're on like a, you know, a, a little van tour where you could be the guitar tech, the drum tech, you could be the, the TM, you could be everything and getting paid basically nothing. 
I think the smallest world thing that I ever had happen was at one of their shows. And, you know, you and I've worked together a long time, so you might have even crossed this person's path at one point mm. in time. But do you remember Ken Denson at all? I don't, uh, no. He was the tour manager for Stone Sour and then became the tour manager for Slipknot. And, man, I just saw him, like, you know, de- juggling those dudes, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely could be a bit of a punching bag, but, like, you know, but was so good at his job. And then, like, who do I see at that, like, No Doubt reunion tour but Ken Denson? And I asked one of the radio guys, I was like, did you know Ken's here? He's like, yeah, he's tour managing No Doubt now. <laughs> I was like, no shit, small world. <laughs> like, dude, that's, he's probably like, wait, 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 for this, for probably more money, I get to manage less than half the people? Fuck yes. <laughs> Can you imagine? But it's amazing. Like, Not, yeah. Nine I mean, dudes. Yeah. But and all their families and, and all that stuff too. Like, uh, man, man, it's too funny. I was just like, that's amazing. <laughs> it's it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Um, Austin, this was fucking awesome. We have to do this again sometime. And you know, it's like I know that has nothing to do with this, but I often think about when we were working together and I was we were both super young and you would come down to Florida. We met for the first time, ate at my little local like pizzeria spot, and then um you were the first person to ever show me trivium. And I remember sitting there listening to this, I think it was either in your rental car or by car, and I remember you're like it was like something off Ember to Inferno because you didn't even have like the demos yet or whatever for the for the record. And it was just so fucking good. And I just always vividly, I don't know why, like those little pieces in your memory. And I always think about that. Like you were so pumped on that band and what they were about to become. And I just, yeah, I always loved your passion and your excitement. And I, like, I, I feel we always kind of had a really good back and forth with all that, like where everybody else is like, uh, and you and I are like, no, this is fucking awesome. We <laughs> need to talk about these bands that need our support. And, uh, that's it, man. It's been, it feels like that was like a million years ago, but, um, Thank you uh, for one for your friendship, for always being the fucking greatest dude, and um, yeah, for showing your kids the way. I love it, and for, uh, I love you, man, dude. Uh, s- send my love to your lady too. I miss her. I want to get over to the West Coast and see you guys whenever dude, we can. Yeah, and, and, and likewise, <laughs> you know, the second I'm back in New York, we'll be hanging out. So uh, at one of our uh, glorious extravaganzas. So uh, Austin Stevens, thank you so much. Um, let's do this again soon, man. Love you. Love you too, buddy. Have a good one. You too, man.